This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We now check in on the state of eye care in the province as we are well into stage three of reopening. Back in June, Ontario's optometrists launched an urgent appeal to the Ontario government to end the 30-year neglect in the funding of eye care. It's chronic underfunding, they say, and coupled with the impact of COVID-19 on optometrists' ability to see patients. It's threatened access to essential health services. Uh, So if you have any questions at all related to eye care, feel free to call. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Sheldon Salaba, President of the Ontario Association of Optometrists. Hi there. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Well, uh, what is the situation? Uh, we're kind of uh, settled in to stage three now. Uh, there are going to be more restrictions, but not for businesses. Uh, so how are optometrists faring with the uh, restrictions of stage three? You know, I think things are um, fairly consistent and uh, they remain um, strained from a perspective of patients having um, full access to us. Um, You know, as long as we're in the pandemic, we're we're kind of structured to only have the ability to see... um, 40 to 50 percent of the of the patients that we normally did and um, that's definitely having an effect for um, patients to receive care okay uh, so it's it's harder to get in if you have an issue and certainly people in our age group zoomers you know that's the time when you start having issues with your eyes uh, what about the ability of optometrists to keep the doors open I mean you've got you can see fewer patients and presumably maybe you have to hire more people to do the special cleaning in between patients uh, and you've got PPE and you still have rent and all of those things, right? Totally. Yeah. Like it's, um, I don't know. It's a precarious situation. We have to be um, very careful on um, the, the types of patients that we're seeing Um We've discussed this issue um, on your show before, but um, the majority of our practices, uh, 70% of the patients that we see are insured through OHIP, and there have been decades of funding neglect around those services, and uh, that means that optometrists are paying um, more than half of the cost to see an OHIP-insured service. So in an environment where our volume is severely restricted, which is the mechanism we used to see more patients um, at a faster rate in order to compensate with um, those types of losses on on this category of patients that we see, 
but we're not able to do that anymore. So um, in order to survive, we have to be uh, very selective in um, the categories of patients, how many OHIP patients we're seeing in a day, um, that type of thing. Because at the end of the day, um, even though we're being expected to see OHIP insured patients at a 50% loss, you know, our landlords expect their rent to be paid. Our staff expect to um, have their paycheck every two weeks. Our leases on our equipment or our loans on our equipment, none of those are being rolled back. We have to pay our utilities. So um, we're not seeing on the on the payment side of running our practices to be able to see patients um, any relief to sort of offset the cost that we're expected to pay Okay, I'm just trying to remember, I had my eye exam very recently, how long it took, and and again, that doesn't count, uh, you know, how long it took for them to clean up after me and before me, but it was, uh, uh, how long does the average OHIP insured eye exam take? We're spending about um, half an hour with the, the doctor and our staff in our clinic to um get everything done. And I would say they're spending another half hour before they reach their appointment time to make sure that um, we've got all of the information correct. We've done COVID screening, um, all of those types of things. And everything just has to be very structured within the office so we can control patient flow, make sure that everything has been sanitized um, behind patients as they move through our office. And uh, how much do you get paid for that exam? On average, for OHIP patients, we're receiving $44. And our cost of delivery is between $80 to $90. And when I say cost of delivery, I'm just talking about fixed operating costs. Um, that means that $80 or $90 number doesn't provide um, any type of income or resources for um, the optometrist providing the service. That's just our staff, our rent, and overhead costs. Hmm. And your non-OHIP patients presumably are patients uh, who uh, require glasses, right? Mostly. No, not not necessarily. The way it works in Ontario is um, that children are insured through OHIP until the age of 20, and oh, right, right. people be- between the ages of 20 and 64 are... Um, they're paying out of pocket and being re- reimbursed in lots of cases by third-party insurance through employers, things of that nature. Um, and the only people that are covered within that 20 to 64 age group are people with certain medical conditions. And then seniors over the age of 65 are insured through OHIP as, again. So it, it's it's likely that seniors are, are bearing the brunt of this, right? Um, to, well, to a degree, they are, absolutely. Uh, the other question that I have, so when you dispense glasses, uh, is that what you rely on to cover the shortfall? You know, um, everybody's practices are structured differently. So if there is an optometrist who is um, selling glasses um, in their clinic, that's kind of one aspect of um, like a, that practice's business model. But we've got 
lots of members that are strictly providing professional services and don't receive um, any income stream from the sale of glasses. Um, I would say that number of our members is likely uh, 30 to 40%. Really? So people that are working in retail locations, um, things of that nature, they don't get, um, they don't get uh, any income stream from um, the sale of uh, products that we prescribe. So there, there, there are also optometrists, I guess, who work for other people who do dispense glasses and, and they would really be impacted, right? Yeah. And a large part of the population, um, see doctors in those types of clinics. They're the types of clinics that you'll find in, in malls, like beside a lens crafters or in a, in a Costco, let's say. And then there's lots of optometrists that are working in, um, you know, some people have set up strictly medical based practices, um, specialty clinics that treat specifically like dry eye patients or some people are only treating eye disease, um, specifically. And, uh, so there are lots of different models in the way I care is delivered in the province. Okay, let's hear from Margaret in Niagara Falls. Hello, Margaret. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I just had a comment to make. I'm a senior. I had my eyes checked by an optometrist pre-COVID, um, and I found out I have a cataract, which is not not bad. But anyway, um, the doctor uh, said he's going to set me up with a surgeon. Well, in July, I had received a call from the surgeon to go in. I'm having my surgery at the end of the month. The system is working for me. I heard a lot of horror stories about wait times and everything. Um, when the surgeons are get back to normal in the hospital, um, they're really doubling up on their time so they can get to get to us quicker. Um, I don't have a problem with the system, and the, like I said, the system has been good for me, and I just hope everybody else has uh, that experience. Thanks for your call, and I think uh, it's a testament to the fact that people are working under pretty tough conditions. I'm glad to hear you're getting your surgery in a timely way. I know people who have to wait a lot. I know, and I was really surprised and very pleased, too. Uh, Good luck to everybody else that's having this done. Yeah, thanks for that. You know, I think she's um, an example of somebody who's very fortunate. My practices are in Hamilton, and I know that it's taking between a year and a year and a half for patients to receive surgery at this point in time. Wow. So I'm happy happy for her. That's that's excellent news for her. I'm talking to Dr. Sheldon Saliba. In Hamilton, he's the president of the uh, Terrio Association of Optometrists. And I have a question. So optometrists want the government either to raise the rates or to uh, let you charge, correct? Um, What we're asking the government to do is provide any type of mechanism that covers the cost for us to deliver the service. So... There are a range of options that exist in Canada in different provinces, and um, we've had meetings with the the government and uh, tabled a variety of solutions to give them flexibility in determining something that works best for them. Um, But in order for there to be um, unfiltered access to 
eye care services, primary eye care services, we have to figure out um, a way and quickly to have those costs um, delivered. A couple more questions. So uh, when you get paid by a third-party insurer for somebody who's not covered by OHIP, do, do they cover the cost? Uh, yeah, they do. Um, they do come. Um, they do cover the cost. I, I should a- answer that directly. Uh, I would say that average reimbursement through a third-party payer is in the hundred and thirty-dollar range for a comprehensive eye exam. That's three times as much. I know that. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and the other question is that we know that. Doctors, I mean, Lord knows they clash with the government a lot, but they have a regular timetable of negotiations, as do other providers. Um, you don't have that, do you? We do not, and that's why it's been very um, easy for successive governments to um, placate us and, and walk away from um, having conversations about um, around funding solutions. I believe... Um, the OMA meets with the government every four years, and their negotiation cycle is uh, beginning on, in beginning on October first of this year. Hmm. Okay. We've never had that luxury. Okay. Is that that? I'm assuming that's something you would like. Yeah, you know, the OMA negotiated a formula um, like years ago called the Rand formula, and it means. All physicians um, have to be part of the of the Ontario Medical Association, and some of the parameters of that formula include um, structure around the government and the OMA having to negotiate fees on a structured cycle. Okay, let's take a call from Nina in Toronto. Hello, Nina. Hi, Libby. Hi, Dr. Salaba. Thanks for taking my call. I am... Uh, 62 years old, and I got my first set of glasses ever on the eve of my 60th birthday. My Congratulations! Eyes, <laughs> I got all the way to 60 without needing glasses, but in the past three years, I recognized that my eyes have deteriorated, so I've started to do some homework to make an appointment, and I've noticed quite a deviation in, in price point, and I'm worried that does the... Does the optometrist, who's only going to charge me $80, have inferior equipment and diagnostic capabilities and versus the one that's $130? And there's one that's even a little bit more than that. How, without knowing anything else, how do I make a decision? You know, do I do the $80 because it helps to save a little money? Will I get the same service? What are your thoughts about that? Well, they're definitely going to be different service levels. So uh, my recommendation to you is when you're speaking to these clinics, um, ask them what is being provided to you for uh, the cost of the eye exam. Mm-hmm. Um, in my clinic, for example, you know, patients um, who are paying um, out of pocket are paying $150 for an eye exam. But when they come in to see me, um, so there's basic standard elements of an eye exam that have to be performed. But in addition to that, we are taking images of the back of the patient's eye. 
We are doing a visual field test, which is a neurological screen looking for glaucoma, any types of brain tumors, multiple sclerosis, um, anything that would affect the visual pathways that goes through the eye. We're also um, taking ultrasonic measurements of the thickness of the cornea, which gives us information um, if the patient is at risk of glaucoma. And uh, we're also scanning glands in your eyelids to see if they are plugged or deteriorating, which leads to dry eye disease, which is a very common complaint in patients. So you wouldn't get that quality of service um, in an $80 eye exam. Um, my thought um, with an $80 eye exam is that you're just going to get the basic elements. So your glasses prescription, there will be, um, you know, there will be a health assessment, but it won't be um, supported with the type of technology and equipment that really allows us to ensure that there is no underlying um, disease that is occurring at a very early stage. Thank you. I had a feeling that that was it. You know, I didn't think that it was all just profit. I thought there's there's a disparity here, and, and obviously, not obviously, but perhaps, you know, more money means more service, more examination. So thank you for confirming that. You've helped me make my decision. Okay, Nina, oh, thanks welcome. for your call. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I think that even for uh, OHIP, the OHIP-covered exam is basic, and if you want some of those really sophisticated scans, it's, it is a, an extra, it, it is billed, right? Um, absolutely. And, you know, those, um, that information really helps us have accuracy for patients. We have technology now where we can scan underneath the surface of the retina and see, um, microscopic changes that we just can't see with our naked eye when we're looking um, at the person ourselves, which is what the traditional element of the health assessment of the eye exam is. And it really um, improves patient outcome because you're identifying things before the patient even knows that they have a problem. And if you can get treatment for certain conditions um, at that early of a stage, it means that the patient's vision is um, maintained and saved. If you're waiting until it becomes obvious to the person that something's wrong, uh, quite often there is a degree of vision loss that can't be uh, recaptured. And how often do you recommend that people get those scans? I mean, it sort of depends on the age. It depends on the condition. You know, if somebody is diabetic or if we can tell that they have macular degeneration or if they are at risk of glaucoma or have glaucoma, um, those things need to be scanned annually. Um, it kind of, it all depends on sort of the category of um, patient diagnosis that you're looking at. Okay, so um, where does where where are we left with all of this? Have you had any kind of response from the government since you launched this campaign? We have. We've had meetings from the government, but I feel um, you know they're getting very busy right now. Um, children are going back into school. There are some increases in the number of COVID cases in the province. So my concern is that their attention is going to be um, diverted away at a point in time where they could um, sit down and uh, iron out these issues and ensure that 
patients have um, stable access to primary eye care services. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, well, uh, it is a big concern. We're waiting for the next shoes to drop. The word is that there are going to be uh, bigger restrictions on gatherings, but not on businesses. I guess uh, you're already as restricted as you could be, right? We are, and we've been operating this way since June. And, you know, I've commented before, I do feel safe in our office. We're not... Um, like we're following the rules, we're making sure that everything is disinfected and we're controlling the amount of people that can be inside of our space. The doors are locked, so it's not just a walk-in environment anymore. So I feel like, um, you know, we're going to have to learn to manage in this environment on for like an extended period of time. And uh, I feel that we're meeting those requirements and that um, we're able to take care of people that um, can get in to see us in a safe way. Uh, interesting. You know, the only place where I had my temperature taken walking in was in the optometrist. And I've actually been to the doctor and and uh, they didn't take my temperature there, but the optometrist did. Uh, and uh, as soon as, you know, I walked through the door, do you do that in your office? Yes, we do. Yeah. We are using it as a, as like a, a screening tool. I know that there are lots of um, asymptomatic cases that could uh, spread COVID, but um, for the ones that aren't, I think that it is an excellent screening tool to identify if somebody's um, sick or not. And uh, I, I don't want to end on a negative note, but do you have an idea of how many optometrists' offices we might lose if, if there is no remedy to this? You know, I think that question is um, still undetermined, but um, we're definitely at risk. We definitely have to be careful. And uh, I don't think that we've gotten far enough into our new environment to really see how uh, that plays out yet. But I'm concerned about all sectors of, of our economy. And, uh, you know, I think if we go into a second wave and if there are further restrictions or if people, um, you know, get more anxious about being in, in public and having services performed, um, we're definitely in a desperate situation. Okay, uh, so just before we go, what would you like to leave our audience with on this issue? Well, you know, I would really appreciate um, people going to our website called saveicare.ca and uh, supporting primary eye care services in the province by letting the government know there it's a very simple um, form that they can fill out and to continue to apply pressure and make the government aware that this is um, a serious issue that is easy to remedy. And uh, we want to be there to be able to take care and help people um, in the future. And we need the public help, help to do that. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Sheldon Saliba from the Ontario Association of Optometrists. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Okay.
And uh, we are wrapping up for today. Just a reminder, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow. And I give the numbers, the phone numbers out frequently. Let me give you the voicemail number because you can also leave a voicemail, which we may play on the radio. The voicemail number is 416-367-9636. We had a couple of topics today that we couldn't get to at least all your calls on, and that was on the ethics issue, the latest ethics violation uh, by the Liberal government in Ottawa. And, well, not exactly the government, but the former ambassador, let's be accurate. And also uh, Canadians' views of Trump in the United States. I bet I'm going to get an earful about that tomorrow. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.